We find ourselves right in the middle of Jude's letter this morning. So you can turn with me to that little letter of Jude, 3 John, and then Jude and Revelation. We're right in the middle of this warning to be watchful, understanding that there are consequences for those who would twist the grace of God in their sin. There are those who are in the church or they're passing through the church who are rejecting the very authority of God, all the while claiming to be faithful followers of the Lord, even teachers of those in the church. And so Jude is making this appeal to contend for the faith. The gospel has been preached to them, it's been entrusted to the church, and it's upon this gospel then that they stand. Uh, and this gospel that they need to defend, uh, especially uh, when the temptation is to, uh, uh, to ignore it or to compromise. So this morning we're going to read through uh, verse 16 of Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah, the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, Wandering stars, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of His holy ones, to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism 
to gain advantage. This is God's holy word to his church through the generations. Let's pray together. Lord God, we marvel that you would transcribe your heart to us through your word. We do thank you and praise you that you have done this. That when we desire to follow you in love, we desire to serve you in faithfulness, you have shown us how to do this. And so you teach us and you encourage us and you warn us through your word. We pray that you would open our ears, our minds, that we might know and understand your word more deeply and open our hearts that we might apply this word to life each day. We cannot do this on our own. Lord, we need your help. And so we trust you to work even now, Holy Spirit, through the preaching of your word. Be glorified in its proclamation. Help us as we submit ourselves to this warning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My sister-in-law left for Miami this last Wednesday. She went down there with a mission organization. Several others uh, went with her. Uh, But she did not go to see the football game that's being played there tonight. Um, She and several others are going to spend time uh, at bus stations, train stations, even on the street, um, you know, with information, kind of a listening ear to push back against uh, human trafficking. Um, Reading a little bit about this uh, this last week, and in human trafficking, if you can imagine this, is a 150 billion with a B, 150 billion dollar business around the world for traffickers. About 100 billion of that is from commercial uh, sexual exploitation. It's estimated there are about a million and a half victims of this in the United States each year. About 50,000 a year brought into the United States um, to be trafficked. And so it's events like the Super Bowl where you have a lot of people descending on a town they're not all that familiar with. They're enjoying the party. provides one of the largest opportunities uh, for uh, trafficking. Um, As I think about those statistics and just the anticipation of evil uh, that's lurking. I know it's not just in Miami, but uniquely there, right this very moment. You know, it makes me cringe. Um, the looks on some of your faces, I, I think you have the same response. Um, such depravity and wickedness. I mean, abuse and selling human beings like they're just another piece of property. Like a shoe or a hat. Um, I mean, that... It turns our stomach. It makes us cringe. And in the verses here before us, Jude is piling on this language, examples, descriptions, you know, talking about these teachers that would make the members of the church just cringe. This is not good. This is ugly. And so Jude, Jude is heightening their awareness. He's heightening our awareness by these examples and uh, the types that he's mentioning here. So he takes a breath after verse 10, then interjects with this you know, assessment. Woe to them. I mean, pay, pay attention. This is a big deal. It's not going to end well for those in our midst who are twisting the grace of God. Let me be crystal clear about that. Uh, is what Jude is communicating. 
He's going to give you know, some of these examples for the church to help I identify these people. Remember, he doesn't name them. These people among them. Uh, all the while, you know, to be on guard of their own hearts, to assess their own walk before the Lord. And that's something I need to hear. I trust it's, it's, it's what you need to hear. Especially when we're tempted to think that the ugliness, all these things that make us cringe, are somewhere else or with someone else. So Jude uses illustrations, another grouping of three here to start with. Then he reinforces uh, the message with a prophecy taken from uh, tradition. Uh, but the people are going to cringe when they hear the names in verses, uh, verse 11. Some bad characters then give attention to this uh, judgment for the ungodly in verses 14 through 16. So for us to keep this straight in Jude's uh, course here, we're going to look at the bad characters and the bold prophecy. I'm going to keep those straight uh, in your minds. Bad characters and bold prophecy. What that means for us. Uh, so he starts with this. Again, it's another triad of woe. These are not the men that the church wants to identify with or walk in their example. They would cringe when they hear things like the way of Cain or the error of Balaam or the rebellion of Korah. And Jude has concluded, he wants the church to know that these certain people are types of Cain, types of Balaam or Korah. The conduct of, of each of these men listed here you know, they, there's not only for themselves, but they led others astray. Others followed after them and received the judgment of God. Remember how the Lord comes to Cain in Genesis chapter 4. He really gives him some important instruction. He warns him. Okay, sin is crouching at the door. You must rule over it. And then what happens? Sin rules over Cain. He rejects God's warning to him. Ends up murdering his brother and you know, establishing, building a place that, that just breeds violence. Then we have Balaam. Balaam chases after his own greed. Numbers 22 through 24. He's offered large amounts of money by the king of Moab, Balak. And he would, he would receive this money if he would curse Israel. The Lord doesn't allow him to curse Israel, but we know his heart is not... Um, with Israel. He leads them astray into the idolatry and the wickedness of the Midianites. And then Korah leads a rebellion against Moses' leadership. He says, hey, I'm, I'm in the family. I'm a priest too. How come Moses gets to make all these decisions? Hello, I'm over here. Pay attention to me. And because of this, God is, God is ready to I mean, consume the people. Moses intercedes. Many of them are spared, but the families of those in this rebellion, number 16, are swallowed up by this. So we see why the people would be cringing at this. What it's telling us about these uh, teachers in the church. and The, the language here, just it, it asserts that completed action. Their fate is already settled. They're leading others in sin, trivializing the commands of God, the command to love Him above all, to love neighbor as themselves. And so as we begin to, to bring this closer to home, we can consider these types in the church, particularly among those who uh, presume to lead or shepherd uh, in the church of God. Now, they're the, the types of Cain. 
where there's really no judge, there's really no ultimate consequences for your actions. You know, this one would say, well, to each his own. To each his own. And then they reject God's word. The type of Balaam lays aside God's word for something else and teaches and preaches something that may will just sound a little nicer. It may uh, up the approval ratings or pad the pockets a little bit more. And folks, I wish I could say that this was just out there, but it's not. It's close. It's in the church. Okay, we don't have to look, but a few hundred yards away to find that in a place of repeat, God's people are to gather for worship. The message is out there for all to see. And here's the message. Wealth was God's idea. Wealth was God's idea. What are your spidey senses doing? And you hear that. Hair start to stand on end, maybe cringe a little bit. You know, God in His goodness may provide material prosperity. He does this. But if that is the end goal, if that is the pursuit, then it is very short-lived and unsatisfying. I mean, it's been verified over and over again. The wealthiest people are usually the most unhappy and unsatisfied. You cannot serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other, Jesus said. One of those masters may very well get in the way of the other master. Um, I mean, God's word, there are more warnings against the dangers of wealth and the gathering of possessions uh, in God's word than just about anything else. Balaam's error, leading the people into idolatry, destruction. How about the types of Korah? These are the ones that, that despise uh, authority. Or, or that there's you know, living under the authority of another, rejecting God's authority and what He has uh, ordered, um, prescribed, both in the church and out of the church. What do you mean God made men and women differently? You mean they have, they have responsibilities and, and gifts that complement each other? That actually contribute to what they both desire, and this for, for the flourishing of humanity, it sounds so ancient, even oppressive. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient path where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. So like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. Look at the language of verses 12 and 13. shows us just how, really I think how incensed Jude is, how angry he is here. I mean, he's pulling out the stops, pulling from every sphere of nature. Uh, we see land, air, sea, the heavens to build his case. Uh, so he just adds to these metaphors of what these intruders, the false teachers, are like. Uh, like hidden reefs uh, at their love feasts. You know, the, the, those reefs are just underneath the surface. And so the boat can get very close. Everything looks safe. Everything looks okay until poof, it's, a, it's a wreck against the reef. Um, and the, the love feasts in the church, times of instruction, times of worship for the people, they likely included uh, going to the Lord's table together. 
And Jude goes on to say that these, these shepherds are feeding themselves, they're indulging themselves, not caring for the sheep. And so as long as they get fed, as long as they get what they want, you know, think of Paul's warning here in 1 Corinthians 11. I mean, they may very well be eating and drinking judgment upon themselves. Language of Ezekiel 34 really presses this in. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. See, these teachers are also very deceptive. They make promises. They appear to be walking rightly in the church and before God's people. But like, like clouds that are promising rain, like trees that are promising to bear fruit, they, in the end, there's nothing. Jesus warns of false prophets in Matthew 7 who would be recognized by their fruits. But here among those who claim to lead, there's no harvest. They're twice dead. So there's no fruit and their very roots of the tree have been pulled up. Um, my, my grandparents used to own a small cottage on Lake Misaki in northern Michigan. I remember going up there as a, a kid in the, the holidays during the summer. And uh, we would uh, spend a lot of time while we were at the cottage cleaning up the beach. They lived on the east side of the lake. And so most of the Prevailing winds and weather would come from the west side of the lake. And so we would get up there thinking, hey, we're going to enjoy some time on the water. And then here's all of the stuff from the bottom. Pieces of boat, splinters of wood, all these weeds that are there on the beach. I think I spent more time actually cleaning up the beach than playing on the beach as a kid. But these, the actions, the lives of these leaders are like the waves just stirring up and depositing this filth on the beach for everyone to see. Yuck, that, that kind of makes you cringe. Prophet Isaiah is cringing when he says in chapter 57, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. So hear the warning. Stay away from these presumed shepherds who deny the grace of God by their lives. So we move from bad characters to bold prophecy. Verses 14 and 15. This is actually the longest quotation we have in Jude's letter. It comes from the Jewish tradition of Enoch. He quotes from, from chapter 1 of this apocryphal writing. Again, Jude's not presuming that all of Enoch is prophetic or part of God's inerrant word, but it is saying true things, helpful things uh, to make his point. And so the reference we have here is now part of God's word. Uh, but the source of Enoch is not recognized uh, by the church as such. But if you were to read through this first chapter in, in this tradition, in Enoch, you would find references to several uh, passages from the Old Testament that speak of God's judgment. Uh, the Lord will come with the hosts of heaven for the purpose of executing judgment. We could go to uh, Deuteronomy 33, Isaiah 66. Uh, read from Zechariah 14 here is a good example to support this prophecy. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains. For the valley of the mountains shall reach to Ezal. 
And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Judgment on the ungodly. Do you hear how often we've heard that language at least four times in that verse? They've spoken against the Lord either by their words or by their lives. And so on that great day, the Lord will speak against them. And we know from verses, well, verse 4, verse 7, verse 13 that eternal torment is their end. So what Jude started in verse 5, he's wrapping up here in verse 16, applying it once again. Uh, to these certain people in the church. Are we listening? Are we allowing the past to teach us, grow our ability to discern this ungodliness in ourselves and in the church? There are a few things that will erode the unity of and joy and peace of the church than grumbling and complaining. And that's what the church is hearing from these folks. Nothing's ever quite right. They had a better idea, regardless of of whether it was God's appointed means or not, their means were better. Apostle Paul addresses this in several places. 1 Corinthians 10, Philippians 2, good examples. What does the outworking of our salvation look like? Philippians 2, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. They're always discontent and arrogant. They're loud, pompous. Sounds like these guys may have been very good at at giving powerful speeches, very convincing speeches. But underneath is just this grab for power, their own gain. That's what really mattered to them. So we hear this just smooth tongue. You know, they're happy to encourage, they're happy to lift another's face in flattery as long as it was to their own advantage. This is not the character of a servant leader, or really any who would desire to grow in godliness. We're called to humility. We're called to gentleness. Selflessness that's not bent on the trappings of this world. Called to model a repentance and dependence upon God. I mean, you can hear just how intent Jude is here on faithfulness. He knows the importance of faithfulness for the church, particularly of its leaders and teachers. The health of the flock so depends on the faithful living and leaving of its leaders. Living and leaving. And I'm not talking when I, when I use that language, you know, bye-bye, so glad we got rid of that guy. Which can happen uh, in God's um, direction, discipline in the church. But leaving an example. Uh, leaving the flock well-fed and hopeful and joyful in the Lord. Some time ago I put together a little, I call it my implementation strategy for life's mission which I know sounds really nerdy. Um, but, but I find it to be a help. Maybe we can all you know, use it in some way as we think about our own, our individual lives in Christ and our you know, corporate life in Christ as a church. It's rooted in Ezra 7.10. So Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Three simple phrases. Learn it. 
live it and leave it. Head, heart, and hands. Learn it, live it, and leave it. You really think about the mission and the the strategy of the church. I mean, it could be described that way. We could put other language to it. We often do. But is that not what we're doing every day? We're learning, we're living, and we're leaving. Not for our own personal gain, not to feed the devices of our hearts, but all for the glory of Christ. It's for Christ that you learn, that you keep learning. It's for Jesus, in union with Jesus, that you live. It is for Christ that you leave a heritage of faith when your own faith is made sight. So the warnings we see in these verses, I mean, the very things that make us cringe, that's the call to persevere in faith. To put to death the deeds of the flesh, the sin that so easily entangles, and look to Christ. Fix our eyes upon Christ. Here's a call to pray. Pray that the Lord would show you, the Lord would show me those things in our hearts and our lives that cause us to cringe. When we read Jude here, it should move us. We should want to do what the prophet instructs in chapter 55. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way, the unrighteous man His thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. Church family, our God is not mocked. Sooner or later, all rebellion against His authority will be judged. But for those who believe, those who are kept by Jesus Christ, that rebellion has been judged once for all. Right here at the cross. It was here that God's grace and mercy was trampled upon. It was there that the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, was mocked so that justice would be satisfied. His wrath averted for those who believe. So hear the call of our suffering servant leader. See, we have a shepherd that is not at all like these shepherds we read here. We have a shepherd who knows us, who loves us. A shepherd who carries us. We have a shepherd who leads us. A shepherd who feeds us with our heart's desire. And that's just a little more of Him. And a little more of Him every day. So we're going to, we're going to keep feasting. We're going to keep eating uh, from His goodness and His grace. But let's pray before we go to the table. Lord God, we do praise You that You have given us this Word, a Word of warning that calls us to faith, to persevere. Lord, we thank You for this help in identifying not just in others, but in ourselves what may cause us to cringe in our sin. Oh, forgive us, Lord. In Your grace and mercy, show us where we need to repent and turn to You. Oh God, as we come to this table, we are keenly reminded that You, Lord Jesus, were mocked, spit upon, bruised and broken for us. Taking the full wrath 
and judgment for our sin upon Yourself. That the end that we read here is not our end because our lives are hidden with Christ. It's in this we celebrate, in this we rejoice. We thank You, Good Shepherd, for feeding us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.